services. So congregation, we're just going to pray for that work in Uganda, these children. If you'd like more information about sponsoring one of those children, you can find Matt and Sarah. They'll be kind of standing in the back or out by the mission table even after this morning. Uh, and we'll have another opportunity for you to stop by the mission table in just a moment. But uh, let's pray and let's just ask the Lord to continue the work and that Jesus Christ would be communicated more effectively in the days to come. So, Father, we thank you for the work that you accomplished in these two and the team that they were a part of. Lord, in loving on kids and clothing and feeding and ministering to. And, Lord, in the Bible club, presenting Jesus and sharing the love of Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, for a move of your spirit there. Lord, will you do a tremendous work. We pray for the schoolmaster. We pray for the teachers. We pray for all who are involved. Father, may they fall deeply in love with you, and may they communicate the love of Jesus Christ to all of the kids. And so, Lord, help us to do our part to simply be a, a, a catalyst to help the gospel go forth powerfully and effectively. We thank you for these two, and pray for the rest of the congregation that we would simply respond with a hearty yes, that we would make ourselves available to whatever you want to do in and through us in the days, the months, and the years to come. We love you, Lord. We ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Let's thank these guys for doing a great job. Amen. God bless you guys. Appreciate you. That's awesome, man. Good job. Uh, I, I can't emphasize uh, the transformation um, that occurs. Uh, when someone, when, when we, if you've just gone on vacation to another country and you see how the rest of the world looks, it's, it's humbling. Uh, my first trip to Romania over 20 years ago, uh, after the fall of communism, uh, there were children living in the sewers. And I remember walking the streets, and I saw this child who was uh, walking on the street, and he had these you know, nice-looking shoes that seemed, oh, he's got shoes, because I had seen a lot of kids without shoes. And he had pants. His pants had holes in them, but he was, he was dressed. And then I saw him sit down, and he put his feet out like this, and the shoes had no bottoms on them. There were no soles. And it, it broke my heart. And I thought, man, God, in my closet, in my closet, I have probably 15 pairs of shoes that I will never wear again. And I just still have them in my closet. And these kids have nothing I remember the translators the first time I went into Slovakia, Central Slovakia. And the translators had just come back from a mission trip in the Ukraine. And they talked about how rich the Slovaks were in the church of Slovakia, how rich they were, that the people in Ukraine had in the community that they were doing their ministry, there was one toilet for the little community. And it was in a communal building in the center of the city. And they talked about how they had so many clothes compared to the Ukrainians. The Ukrainians, so many of them had one shirt, one pair of pants, and they were lucky if they had shoes. And then the translators were telling our team that had just arrived from America about how wealthy they were. And we discovered over the next two weeks that the the majority of our translators from Slovakia had two pair of pants and maybe three shirts and one pair of shoes. And 
our young people were complaining that the 36-inch bag by 18 inches by 22 inches deep that had five, six, seven pair of pants, five, six, ten shirts, ten pair of underwear, socks for every day of the week. I mean, we had instructed even the gals, hey, don't bring your hair dryers and don't bring your curling irons. And some hair dryers ended up there and curling irons and the complaint that they couldn't get them to work because they didn't have the adapter. And there was just complaint after complaint. You think, man. And so after that service, I mean, literally the kids were just weeping and just thinking, we are so materialistic in America. And so there's a real perspective. And it's, it's not a, a, this is not a, you know, downer moment, but it's a perspective moment because it isn't about the stuff, right? I mean, at the end of the day, everything that we accumulate in this world is just fuel for the fire. That's a real deal. It's just fuel for the fire because it's all going to burn. That's right. So it's perspective. What more do I need? Let's get our eyes on the kingdom of God again. All right. Well, that being said, uh, we have another slide coming up here, and we have a mission, another mission trip coming up. I think we have actually two, but I'll mention one that's coming up. It's coming up in March of 2017. It's March 17th through either the 27th or the 28th. We're going down to uh, Chile. We're going to be working with Rick and Laurel Ellis there in Chile. They're church planters, the congregation there in Chile. They raised about a million dollars. A congregation of about our size raised a million dollars. You heard testimony if you were with us earlier this year when Rick and Laurel came and shared how many of the families gave sacrificially to make this happen. One family, they, they felt God prompted him to give 100% of the entire income for the next year that he generated. And somehow, miraculously, every single month, their rent was covered, their food was covered, their utilities were covered, and they gave 100% of the income and, and they sat just amazed by faith what God did because they just responded in faith. Anyway, they raised this fund. They now have the building, and there's work to be done there in the building. There's outreach in the city of Concepcion, and as well as the team will be going into the fishing village of Arauco. And if you know and are familiar with the earthquake that occurred in Chile just a few years ago and the tidal wave that came in, and it literally the city of Arauco or that little community of Arauco it was, it was basically underwater. In fact, a church that I helped build some 15 years ago, one of the walls that was built, not the wall that I built, but one of the walls that was built literally came down as a result of that tidal wave and the, and the surge of water that came through. And so we're going to be working with the children of that church, and there's going to be a whole bunch of community outreach. There's going to be opportunities to love, to serve, and the cost, about, the cost for this trip is going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of $2,700. And so we want to invite you, if that's something you would like more information about or something you think the Lord might even be prompting you to be a part of, at the mission table, Dan, Stella, and Adam will be at the mission table. Will you guys just stand real quick? And you can ask them. They have all the details. Uh, passports, this is the key piece. We have passport applications at the table. They need to be filled out post-haste and get turned in so we can get that process if that's something that you desire to do and you don't have a current passport. Okay. Um, I'm sure I had some other things that are going. Next Sunday, next Sunday, we will not have church service here. Next Sunday, we are 
having our community-wide worship service. When you came in this morning, you should have had a little card that looks like this on your seat. And this is giving you information about the all-one church service. There's a collaboration of churches in our community, this North Clackamas community. There are approximately eight churches that are going to be a part of this service. It will be at 10 o'clock next Sunday at Alder Creek Middle School. This year, we will be inside the auditorium. (laughs) For those of you who froze last year out in the bleachers, this year we will be in the auditorium. And uh, here's the thing. There will be a children's program, and you will recognize some of the children's workers. So moms and dads, we don't want you to say, hey, this is a Sunday. I'm not going to go. But what we really want, and I'm, I'm, I'm appealing to everyone here, this is not a Sunday to say, well, it's different. We have some things we're going to do. We're going to go check some other place. We're going to do something else. Listen, I want to invite everyone, put it on your calendars now, to be at Alder Creek middle school auditorium that we might show in numbers and strength what it's like for the body of Christ to come together to worship the Lord collaborative collection and to hear testimonies about what God is doing in our community. We will hear from the superintendent of our school district. You'll hear from one of our teachers give testimony. You'll hear from two of the members of this congregation. You'll hear actually Pastor Matt's going to share And you're going to hear from Josh Miller. Josh Miller is going to share. And it's going to be a great time. So please, please, please take this card. There's more information on the back. And come and be a part. There will be a love offering. And the love offering will go to the North Clackamas School District. The Wichita Family Support Center. We want to love on community and love on community members that are living marginalized and help them and bring sustenance and sustaining in their lives. In addition to that, we're asking everyone who comes to please bring with you pantry items. Now, I just mentioned about what it was like for me to open up my closet and see all those shoes that are never going to be worn. Maybe you have clothing. Bring the clothing. Maybe you have food. Have you opened up your cupboards recently and looked? Here's what I'm not asking you to do. I'm not asking you to reach in the very back of the cupboard where the dates might be expired on some of that stuff. But, hey, how about pull from the front of the cupboard the stuff that you would eat also? Does that make sense? The things that you would eat. Maybe it's your pasta. Maybe it's your hamburger helper. Maybe it's your rice aroni. Maybe it's your SpaghettiOs with meatballs. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's your Nally's Thick Chili. I don't know. But will you not just bring one or two cans? What if every one of us brought a bag of groceries? Maybe it's a sack of rice in there. Whatever it looks like. Will you fill a bag and bring it with you on that Sunday morning? We have a trailer. We're going to collect it all up. On Monday, we're going to deliver it right over to Wichita, and we're going to stock. And our guys, we got five of our interns that are going to be there stocking the shelves. And so we get to just love on communities. Does that sound like a good idea? Does that sound like a good idea? Yeah. Let's pretend we're watching a big football game or something on the screen right here, and something big just happened for our team. Is that a good idea? Come on. There we go. Nice. Man, we're in church. (laughs) Good. Well, how are we doing time-wise? Well, we're almost done with church. (laughs) Oh, I'm 
just kidding. <laughs> We're just getting warmed up. Hallelujah. I told the guys earlier that I had about three or four sermons, and I was just fired up about everything in chapter 3. And here's the deal. Chapter 3 of the book of Genesis, it literally is the seed ground for the entirety of Scripture. For what transpires in chapter 3 absolutely has impacted every single man, woman, and child that has ever been born. It is the seedbed for the entirety of Scripture. And we've looked at doctrines already the past two weeks. We've looked at the Scripture being inspired by God, verbally inspired by God. It is inerrant, it is infallible, and it is the authoritative rule of faith and conduct for every believer. We start with the foundation that the Word of God is just that, the Word of God. And it is absolutely the unadulterated truth. Come on. Last week we looked at the nature of our God. We believe in the one true God who has revealed Himself in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And He is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. And He's everywhere, all-present. Hallelujah. One God. Today, we're looking at chapter 3. and I'm, It's going to be brief, so you'll want to come back Sunday night because we will detail what's in chapter 3 and chapter 4 tonight. And honestly, and I mean this from the depths of my heart, and every student of the Word of God, every Bible teacher in the house this morning knows this to be true. If we don't understand what transpires in chapter 3, we'll never understand chapter 4. And if we don't understand that, the rest of Scripture can be confusing. So chapter 3, foundational. The doctrine we're looking at this morning is the doctrine that we call the fall of man. It really is the predicament of man. And in many ways, it's God's opportunity, God's predicament in one respect, in that he has a plan associated with it. And that plan we'll look at much more clearly tonight. And that plan will look very detailed next Sunday morning, God's plan of salvation. But man's plight, man's predicament, is found in Genesis chapter 3. And so read with me Genesis chapter 3, and we'll read, oh, probably the first 12 verses. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And 
the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they knew that they were unclothed, uncovered. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. Father, in these next few moments, there is much that is in my heart that is compelling that I want to say. Lord, may today, this morning, we focus just upon those few thoughts that you want to convey, and may we learn from the perfect law of liberty, the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. The doctrine is simply this. Man was created good and upright, for God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. However, man, by voluntary transgression, fell and thereby incurred not only physical death, but also spiritual death, which is separation from God. So Genesis 3.6, we have this verse, and it indicates that Eve was deceived to eat the fruit. She was beguiled. She was led astray by deceit. And we would find in this portion of Scripture in Genesis, there really is a pattern of how the enemy comes with temptation. We'll look at that in detail tonight. I'll mention that in just a few moments uh, this morning. But she ate in a place of deception. Nevertheless, it was disobedience and it was sin. Adam, on the other hand, was in full knowledge. And he took the fruit and ate it. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 14 tells us directly that Adam was not deceived. Eve was deceived. Adam was not. Therefore, he ate the fruit in direct disobedience. Now then, I would direct your attention to the book of Romans because it's in Romans where the Apostle Paul brings out some clearer understanding, if you will. And today what I want you to really do is most of us, when we approach chapter 3, because we are familiar with it, we read it and we just contextually generally say, well, I understand what's happening here, and we kind of skim through it, and we don't contemplate and think and dig deeper and ask the Lord for understanding and ask the Lord to help us have Scripture interpret Scripture so we can have a fuller understanding of what may be transpiring here. And in many cases, we give Adam a real bad rap. And it is a bad rap because Adam sinned, all men are sinners, right? And that's a bummer. We all not only are 
not only do we have our own transgression where we're guilty of our own disobediences to the Lord and to the Word of God, but we inherited, because we are the seed of Adam, we inherited a sin nature. And it has influence in our lives. Have you noticed that the majority of our life, like Matt said earlier, it's about me, me, me. Well, that's kind of that sinful nature, the carnality of mankind is to focus on self and self-fulfillment. Well, Romans chapter 5 is a fascinating chapter, and it's a very revealing chapter. And I would encourage you to read through Romans chapter 5 and do your own personal study there. The young adults are going through the book of Romans right now, and I'm not sure what chapter they're on, but I'm sure that Matthew, in an expository way, will be teaching on Matthew chapter 5, and you will want to definitively listen to those chapters and those teachings online. Romans chapter 5 and verse 14 says this, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam. Adam in full knowledge sinned. There are those who, not in full knowledge, have sinned during the time from Adam to Moses. And he says, sin reigned not only on those who have transgressed willfully, but also on those who have transgressed unwillfully. How many of us sitting here this morning recognize that there's sin in our lives that we don't even know that we're part of and have engaged in sin? There's stuff that we don't even recognize and the areas of our lives where we have been disobedient. Sometimes it's because we're just checked out and not paying attention. Has anybody ever been in that state where you're just kind of coasting in life and you're not even paying attention to life? I've looked down at my speedometer and realized, wait a minute, I'm going 82 miles an hour. How did that happen? How did my car drift over into the fast lane? I'm on autopilot. I'm violating the law, which is a transgression. The scripture tells us to obey the governing authority. Does that make sense? It's that simple. It's that simple. Then it goes on to say in verse 14, again, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. He's a type of him who was to come. If Adam is the type, then who is the one who is to come? This is nothing less than Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Adam is a type of Messiah, Paul is saying. How is Adam a type of Messiah? We see in Genesis chapter 3, his willful disobedience. We know Jesus never disobeyed the Father. He did not violate the law. There is no sin in him. I want to invite you this morning to perhaps see Adam in a little different light. I want to challenge every man who is married here this morning. This is a challenge for men very specifically in the midst of this sermon, in the midst of looking at the doctrine of the fall of man. Because there's something very epic about what we're about to see and consider. 
I was Adam, I said, Jesus. Adam loved Eve. The mystery, because we don't have the full picture, is where was Adam when the dialogue, incidentally, the word serpent there, uh, its root can be translated as shining one. The actual Hebrew word gets its derivative from the sound that a snake makes, the hiss. But it also has and carries the meaning shining one and can be translated properly even right here. That the shining one, and we know that Satan, the scripture in the New Testament tells us that he masquerades around as an angel of light. And so did he incarnate a serpent? We don't have all of the detail there. Something transpired, but he is giving information. And where was Adam? Because here's the thing. Adam is the head. And the shining one, the serpent, is talking to Eve. It's out of the proper chain of command. One would perhaps assume that while the dialogue was transpiring, Adam was making his way toward the conversation. And Adam, in seeing that his wife had consumed the fruit, I want you to imagine for a moment what that must have been like for Adam. The one who was formed and fashioned for him. Remember, there was no suitable help meet for Adam. God saw that it was not good that man should be alone. He caused Adam to go into a deep sleep, pulled from Adam's side, flesh and bone, and fashioned and made woman, and brought the woman to Adam. And he said, for this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. He was in love with Eve. And she ate the fruit. And Adam is now faced with the reality of an eternity separated from Eve. I will have communion with my Father in this beautiful state of no sin and perfect fellowship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. But I will be separated from the one I love. Adam did something that we often, most often, chastise him for. But what he did was he chose to become sin with Eve. Gentile bride because the Jews weren't yet. He chose to identify and alter his eternal state and identify and become sin so that 
something magnificent would ultimately occur. Now, he may not have even known, but he said, whatever her fate, that will be my fate as well. I love her, and I will keep her eternally. And here's the type. Jesus Christ, in his eternal state, saw a Gentile bride afar off. And because of God's love for us, the Bible says, he became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. In his ability, he took on and became sin and identified with a Gentile bride. And there's much more to the story. In fact, the book of Ruth would reveal in that Boaz is a kinsman redeemer of kin. Jesus changed. The Son of God changed his eternal state forever. God the Son took on flesh, became man, became our kin, that he might redeem. He became sin. He who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. For God so loved the world, listen, just like Adam, in a matter of speaking, so loved his wife, he sinned in full knowledge, became sin, if you will, in a sinful state, changed his destiny. Jesus, for eternity now, has resurrected flesh, the incarnation. Adam was a type of that. Here's the challenge for all men that are married and men that will maybe one day be married. We are challenged by the Apostle Paul in his writing to the letter of the church of Ephesus. He says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Imagine your bride in the Garden of Eden who has now eaten the fruit. And you're here. Perfect communion with God. No sin. For your wife and the love of your wife, would you identify with her and become in that state to be separated from God. And I say this to simply say there's a challenge for us to love. The beauty is God provides hope in all. We didn't get to it in our reading this morning, but just three verses away in verse 15 is God's plan of salvation to redeem all of mankind. From Adam all the way through to you and I to this very day and to those that will be after us, he has provided redemption to redeem 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now then, the challenge, men, is this. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Matt stood up here and said, in America, a lot about me, a lot about stuff, a lot about acquisition and more. Distractions at the end of the day. Relationally, fellowship. What's in the way? What's preventing you from loving your wives like Christ loved the church? What have you allowed to be a distraction in your marriages? What have you allowed to be something instead of? I look at Christ and I see Adam in this place. Adam loved Eve, and this is going to sound, I want you to follow me through. Adam loved Eve more than he loved his relationship with the Father. Does that make sense for a moment? Right? Because he chose Eve over God. You see that? Think about this for a moment, though, because the type is Jesus loves the church more than he loves his own self. He offered his life for us. Your value and my value is God himself. You see what I'm saying there? You see that? The price and the value that God has placed on you and your salvation to spend eternity with him was himself. So he placed you above himself. And that's what he challenges us to do, to love others over ourselves. That's a, that's, a, that's a high calling. But the value of loving that way. It's an agape love, to love the way God loves. And there's a type in this, and I'm hoping I'm not muddling the water too much. Do you love your wives that much that you would give yourselves for them? I want you to let that soak in, men. Just let it soak in. Because what you do with that is dependent upon you. What you do with that. And every man here who will eventually, hopefully, have a wife. Now, there may be some that won't. But for those that will be eventually married. And every female who is here who either has a spouse, had a spouse, or will have a spouse. I think you would give a hearty amen. How many women would say, I would love my husband to love me that way? Amen? Amen. Ladies, I want you to know that you can help the men in this regard. I believe it starts with communication. I think sometimes we don't talk subject matters that we should talk about in marriages. Do I have any head nods? How's the communication in your home? How's the communication between husband and wife? Husbands, are you listening to your wives? Husbands, are you hearing what your wife is saying? Wives, are you hearing your husband? Are you listening to your husband? Communication is a two-way street. All of us believe that God wants our marriages, an institution that he established, to be strong and healthy. Does everyone know that this morning? That's God's heart and desire. So there's a challenge. 
coming out of the doctrine of the fall of man. Because Adam disobeyed, the Bible tells us even further, listen to Romans, therefore, this is Romans 5 verse 12, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Romans 3.23 reminds us, uh, he, he says, for all have sinned and what? Fall short of the glory of God. All are sinners. So then, all men, because of Adam, were sinners. Even those who may not have had willful disobediences. But I think, looking across this room, would we all agree that we've reached the point of the age of accountability and we would recognize that we are guilty of our own transgression where we have transgressed that which God has called us to. Thanks be to God. Uh, man being in a major predicament, God does provide a way of, and a plan of salvation. Hallelujah. And uh, we will look at that again deeper uh, tonight as well as next Sunday in the doctrine of salvation. There is hope. So I invite you to come back tonight. The man is in a fallen state. And you may be here this morning, and I am I look across the auditorium, and I, I, I think I know all of you, but I, there may be someone who I'm not seeing that I don't know. Maybe you've come in this morning, and in all reality, your faith today is not in what Jesus Christ accomplished upon the cross at Calvary. He shed his blood to redeem us, to atone for, to become a covering. Let me, let me just note a couple of things. First of all, the tactic of the enemy, and this is just bullet points here, but the tactic of the enemy, number one, is to generate doubt. He wants to generate doubt. In the process of generating doubt, he wants you and I to, if we utilize God's Word, to misuse God's Word to either add or take away from the Word of God, which is exactly what Eve did. Eve said some There we are. She added to the word of God. Then he came in with direct denial of God's word. And he used the portal of the eye. I think it's noteworthy that Satan most often uses the portal of the eye to bring about temptation. Here's another interesting piece. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit most often use the portal of the ear to direct his children. Interesting. Eyes bring about immediate gratification. Ears bring about a process of obedience and follow-through. That's why we find in the book of Revelation of the seven letters to the seven churches, at the conclusion of each of those short letters, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Speaking. The enemy tempts the visual, pleasing to the eyes, desirable, etc. And we'll 
cover that in detail tonight. Here's the interesting thing about man. Man tries to make a covering. When we sin, you can just get your eyes this way for a moment. When we sin, we try to cover our sin. Adam tried to cover his sin. Not only do we try and hide and cover, cover, we do try and hide. The Bible says, the wicked man flees, though no one pursues. That's a picture of a man hiding and no one's even looking, per se. Does that make sense? And when we have sinned, not only do we try and cover, but we try and hide that which we have sinned about. cannot do it on our own. We cannot make a sufficient covering. God seeks us out, and aren't you thankful that God seeks us out? I am so thankful that God seeks us out. And in the process of God seeking us out, he brings about redemption. Redemption. God made coverings out of skin for Adam and Eve. It demonstrates the shedding of innocent blood to make atonement for. You may be here today. If your faith is not in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the Bible calls him the lamb slain from the foundations of the earth. If your faith is not in Jesus today, then you stand condemned in your sin. But you need not stay there. Can I get an amen? Jesus Christ has made provision for you. If you will simply receive what he has done. People ask the question often, why would a loving God send anyone to hell? Let me suggest to you first that God doesn't send people to hell. People choose to go there. And they choose to go there not necessarily because of their sin, rather because of their rejection of God's provision for atonement for their sin. Flat out rejection. Do not reject your faith is not in Christ, do not have a hard heart today. Will you open your heart and receive what Jesus Christ accomplished upon the cross of Calvary? He shed his blood. He became sin. He took the penalty for our sin. A sin that we had committed, a sin that was future. He said, God made him who knew no sin to become sin. Verse 8 says, God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He identified with the Gentile bride, took our, the penalty for our sin upon himself, and he died in our place. The beauty is, death had no hold on him because he was without sin, and therefore 
He rose again on the third day. He's ascended to the Father. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will be coming back for us. He already said, I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I go to prepare a place. If I go, I will return again and bring you unto myself or take you unto myself. Jesus Christ is coming again, and he is coming to take us home. You'll only go home with him if your faith is in him. I invite you to stand with me this morning. I'm going to give an opportunity. You're here this morning, and you realize the plight of man. Man's plight is that he is in a state of separation. Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 2, your sin separates you from your God. And you realize your faith today is not in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. And you would like to commit your life to the Lord. You would like to be born again. You would like to receive the work that Jesus accomplished upon the cross, shedding his blood, to know that your sin has been atoned for, that your name is written in God's book, and that you will spend eternity with your Father who is in heaven. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes for just a moment and bow your head. If that's you this morning, and you would say, I want to commit my life to Jesus Christ, I want to express my faith this morning in what he accomplished upon the cross at Calvary, shedding his blood for the forgiveness of my sin, and you would like to be included in this prayer, would you simply indicate that to me with every eye closed and heads bowed? by raising your hand and say, remember me this morning when you pray. Is that you? You'd say yes. I see that hand. God bless you. You can put that down. I see that hand. God bless you. You can put that hand down. Is there somebody else who'd say, that's me. I want to join these two and say yes. You'd just indicate that by raising your hand where you're at and say, that's me. We'll take just a moment. The Spirit of God is tugging on your heart right now and you're wrestling. Do I raise my hand? Do I not raise my hand? Do I raise my hand? Do I not raise my hand? Can I just suggest to you, raise your hand. Don't fight. I see that hand. God bless you, sister. You can put that down. Thank you. Somebody else? Anyone else? Maybe you're here this morning. You've committed your life in the past to the Lord, but you know you're not living for the Lord. And today is a day when you simply like to say, I want to recommit my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to live the rest of my days to honor the Lord and stop living for myself. Stop trying to make coverings for myself. Stop trying to work out my own salvation, so to speak. But just lean on the Lord and say, I want to just jump in and be fully engaged in my faith. If that's you and you want to recommit your life to the Lord, will you raise your hand? I see that hand in the back. I see these in the front. God bless you. Many, many hands. Many hands. Let's pray together. Father, this morning we come in the mighty name of Jesus. There are three that have raised their hands this morning and said, I want to be born again. I want to profess faith in Jesus Christ. I want to put my trust in what he did upon the cross for me. He shed his blood for the covering, the atonement of my sin. Father, 
your word says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus Christ is Lord, we believe in our hearts, God, that you raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. This morning we simply say together, Jesus Christ is Lord. Will you say that with me this morning, church? Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord, we acknowledge we are sinners. And we confess that we believe that, God, you raised Christ from the dead, validating every promise that he made. That our names would be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. We pray today for these three that said yes. And we ask, God, that you would help from this day forward that they would live their lives fully for you, fully alive in Jesus. That we, they would grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, that we would help them in discipleship and help them in their new life in Jesus. God, will you bless them? Now, Father, for the many that raise their hand and say, I just want to recommit my life to the Lord. I want to give it all for Jesus. I'm tired of maybe some who even raise their hand in rededication. They'd say, man, I've been looking at the Lord saying, El Shaddai, he's dealt very bitterly with me. But I want to recommit and say, no, God, you are good. Every good and perfect gift flows from the Father of lights. I've had the wrong perspective. Lord, help me to see your goodness. Help me to see. Help me to realize like Jacob, who said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Lord, for those who raise their hand, they say, I want to recommit. Father, we simply, by way of praying together, and this is for those who raise their hands, we just agree right now in Jesus' name. We simply say, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we recommit our lives to you. We ask that you would help every single person who raised their hand and those who didn't raise their hand, God, all of us, that you would help us to live every day for your glory and that we would be salt and light and convey the love of Jesus Christ to those around us. And, Lord, may we experience the goodness of God every moment of every day in fellowship with you. Thank you that you loved us so much that you identified with us and for us. You became sin. Adam, that type, something that we don't fully grasp, but a type, there was a love there that's deep. Help us to love that way and to receive that kind of love from you. We love you, Father. We ask your blessing and benediction in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said a strong amen. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. Go in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Be sure to stop by the mission.